And now, The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Hello, and thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, July 19th, 2022, seven minutes past the hour. I'm Tom Temin. Our producers are Eric White and Peter Masurlian, our digital editors, Amelia Brust, Daisy Thornton, and Robert O'Shaughnessy. Coming up in this hour of The Federal Drive, how procurement looks to a major contractor CEO. Plus, this inspector general says her office is ready to oversee infrastructure spending. Thank you very much. Those stories and much more ahead during this hour of The Federal Drive. But first, your background investigation is the crucial step in getting security clearance and a career in national security. But investigators cast an especially leery eye towards people with foreign ties, foreign family, dual citizenship, even foreign friends. Now, the Intelligence and National Security Alliance recommends a revision of that process to improve, it says, recruitment of individuals with diverse cultural backgrounds. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke with INSA's Vice President for Policy, Larry Hanauer. Investigators are never going to be able to learn everything they want to know about a candidate's uncle in rural China somewhere, but they can assess whether such a family tie really affects a candidate's loyalties or or creates security risks that can't be mitigated. So to help get people with these critical language and cultural skills into the workforce, INSA's paper makes a number of recommendations. So first, we call on the intelligence community to shift its clearance approach from eliminating risk to mitigating risk. And so that way, people with low-risk foreign connections can get through the clearance process more expeditiously. Now, once hired, these candidates are monitored by continuous vetting tools, insider threat programs, and other post-employment security measures that further mitigate security risks. So it's, it's just not necessary to get to zero risk, if that's even possible, in the investigation stage. To further mitigate risks, we also recommend in the paper that candidates who have these kinds of foreign ties, once they've been hired, receive regular, in-depth, defensive counterintelligence briefings. So that way they're prepared to better identify uh, influence and recruitment efforts that hostile governments might aim at them. The second recommendation we make is that mission-focused teams in an agency, really the the agencies that are focused on getting the job done, uh, work closely with human resources and security staffs to make sure that candidates who have these critical mission skills don't get dropped from consideration because of foreign ties. When the security staffs are looking at a candidate's application and they see relatives overseas, extensive foreign travel, maybe to countries that aren't so friendly to the United States, their antenna go up and, and there are immediately hurdles that this candidate is going to have to have to jump through. Um, what that means, though, for the mission is that is that it's harder to get these people hired and on the job where they can do the critical national security work that's required. So by connecting the the, the mission execution teams with human resources and security, we we feel like uh, it's less likely that people who have these foreign ties are just going to run into a brick wall at some point during the process and never make it onto the job. Yeah, and I mean, those are a pretty wide range of policy recommendations. You know, one that I've heard come up before is just the fact that human resources and security offices are not necessarily as tightly integrated as they could be. Um, you hear this in the cybersecurity world in terms of, you know, how long it takes to bring folks on board and why would someone with a cyber background want to work for the government and have to go through a nine to 12 month process. And there are ways that you can mitigate that by having, you know, HR and, and security offices work more closely together. Are you seeing that happen at all at agencies today? Why is that so bifurcated? Can you get into that, that recommendation? Because that seems like that could solve a lot of these challenges that we've talked about. 
Sure. Um, you know, as in many large organizations in government or even in in, in industry, uh, you know, critical functions are often siloed off from each other. Uh, and so that's often the case here when when dealing with recruiting or human resources on the one hand and the security functions in another. Um, you know, the challenge that that the cleared community faces, government and cleared contractors, is that, you know, they're in a huge competition for talent. As you noted, you know, there are a lot of people with critical skills, you know, whether they're uh, language and cultural skills like we've been talking about in this paper or maybe cybersecurity or technological skills, they can go to a lot of different places. They can go work for a commercial company that isn't going to make them go through a nine to 12 month vetting process that's probably going to pay them more because many commercial companies were able to pay better than, than the government pay scale. Um, and so, you know, the intelligence community and, and the government as a whole really needs to step up if it's going to want to recruit people with these with these critical skills who have options. Now, what the way the hiring process typically works in government is that first you you go to an agency and you you interview for a job and if they want to hire you they decide you've got the skills you've got the experience necessary to do a job then you get a conditional offer of employment and that's conditional upon getting a security clearance. So then they transfer your 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 file over to the security folks to start the background investigation, gather information, and ultimately adjudicate your clearance. And then if you need it, get a polygraph as well. So so the 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 hiring and the security process are really in two different stages. And what that means is that they're just a lot less likely the the, the people in the human resources and the security silos are a lot less likely to communicate with each other until everything is all wrapped up in a bow and you're ready to be hired. But, you know, as we mentioned in our in our paper, um, what what that means is that people who have really critical skills that the intelligence community needs, you know, people who might have, let's say, native level Chinese language skills are uh, are, are offered a job because the intelligence community wants them. And then they just can't get through the security process because there are too many questions they can't answer. They have foreign, extensive foreign travel that the security folks want to look into. They have relatives overseas um, who maybe can't be investigated uh, to the same level of detail as your your relatives or your or your friends here in the United States. And so what happens is your your case just kind of hits a brick wall in the security realm, and the people who are waiting for you to show up and and do the job they want you to do are are just waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, so we just feel like better communication between the the human resources people, the mission-focused teams that want to hire a candidate, and the security folks um, will help ensure that that people with those critical skills don't just hit that brick wall. The the mission focused teams might be able to provide the security uh, the security team uh, with additional insights into the 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 reasons why this candidate is is facing obstacles. Or maybe the security team just just needs to go back to the candidate with more and more and more requests to explain different travel, to explain you know relatives they have overseas and 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 whatever concerns um, the security teams have. So more and more communication as well between security and a candidate will also help ensure that whatever concerns a, a security has can actually be addressed. All too often, security finds something of concern and they don't really tell the candidate what's going on. And so the candidate can't provide information that might mitigate the concerns. You mentioned also the the need for some sort of bias training. You know, are you seeing bias training at agencies today specifically focused on some of these perhaps outdated attitudes about foreign ties in certain places 
like China at, at security offices specifically so that they might have more of that sort of granular view of these ties instead of just making assumptions. The need here is is for this kind of bias awareness training just so, so that security officers and others become more aware of the assumptions they're making. We're not saying that China doesn't pose a significant threat to U.S. national security. It does. But clearance decisions are made at an individual level, right? The security officers aren't being asked to make a decision as to whether China is is threatening sensitive U.S. information. They're asked to make a determination as to whether a particular person who might have uh, family ties to China poses a security risk. And so it's all too easy to just make an assumption that, well, you know, they've got family in China, that family is going to be manipulated by the government and pressured, and, and so that's going to put pressure on this candidate, um, and so therefore they they they're a security risk. But there are a lot of assumptions in that. And what we're recommending is that by by getting this kind of bias awareness training, security officers and others can really unpack those those assumptions um, and try to make decisions that are fact based and that really look at the individual candidate in question. Larry Hanauer, vice president for policy at the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Still to come, this inspector general says her office is ready to oversee infrastructure spending. Thank you very much. This is The Federal Drive with Tom Temin here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.